Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a double or triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's episode we call Dracula La La. Emerging from a misty haze of rats and bats and Bram Stoker's Dracula, the notorious antagonist, Count Dracula, has been revived numerous times to grace the silver screen. Fortunately, Castle Grindhouse has the privilege of hosting historian, writer, and cinema veteran Bruce Civilly, who armed with wolfsbane and garlic flowers will unveil not just one, but three incarnations of the bloodthirsty yet seductive monster. London is plagued by a series of missing children and mysterious illnesses when a Transylvanian count arrives, accompanied by peculiar luggage containing soil and an eccentric real estate agent with a ravenous appetite for insects. Is this all just a coincidence, or does the mysterious Count Dracula conceal a dark, vampiric secret? Dwight Fry, Helen Chandler, and Bela Lugosi star in Todd Browning's Dracula from 1931. In the wake of his partner's untimely demise, Dr. Van Helsing is propelled into action, determined to find the killer and put an end to his reign of terror. But with all the cards stacked against him, including all the townsfolk, how will he stand a chance against the bloodthirsty Count? Peter Cushing, Michael Goff, and Christopher Lee star in the 1958 Terence Fisher film, Horror of Dracula. The tranquil port town of Whitby, England is jolted by an unsettling incident as a mysterious vessel, carrying slaughtered sailors and one surviving Transylvanian count, crashes into its harbor. As the chaos settles and the crates filled with dirt are unloaded, a series of peculiar occurrences unfurls, with the enigmatic Count Dracula lurking at the heart of it all. Donald Pleasance, Laurence Olivier, and Frank Langella star in John Badham's Dracula from 1979. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. So we have uh, been sadly neglecting our YouTube channel uh, for a long time, but um, luckily for everyone out there who's uh, who's still sticking with the YouTube side of it, uh, we're, we're definitely getting back into that. Um, and uh, for those of you who only listen to us on the audio side, uh, there's some good stuff to check out on, on uh, our YouTube channel. We have... Uh, some public domain movies, uh, lots of uh, sort of clips and shorts of the of the show, and then we've got uh, a slightly different version of the show uh, uh, coming out every week there, uh, catching up on our old episodes. So, lots of fun stuff to check out on on the YouTube channel for the Grindhouse Institute. The Diary of Jonathan Harker, third of May, eighteen eighty five. I was forced to travel the last few kilometers on foot before arriving at Castle Dracula. The castle appeared innocuous enough in the warm afternoon sun, and all seemed normal but for one thing. There were no birds singing. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Mm-hmm. 
All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me as always is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Brian, would you remind Chrissy that I never drink wine? <laughs> Did that show up in all three films today, or just two of them? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I think just the two of them, just right? Just two of them, right? I don't know if Christopher Lee said I don't it, think but, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very exciting show today. We're talking, we're talking Dracula with three L's. Um, and Dracula with us alone. today is quite literally the person that uh, wrote the book on Dracula. Bruce Sibley is joining us again. Uh, he was on for our uh, The Road to James Bond episode uh, several years ago now at this point, yeah. I believe. <laughs> Hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, right. It goes so fast. Um, but to remind everyone at home, Bruce uh, has worked as an editor, producer, writer, director, and special effects assistant on music videos, TV specials, feature films, and documentaries. He's the author of the books Billion Dollar Batman, Superman on Film, Television, Radio, and Broadway, co-author of the book James Bond, The Legacy, with John Cork, and for the purposes of our episode today, the Dracula FAQ. <laughs> he continues to write award-winning screenplays, uh, as we were talking about just earlier, uh, and he's recently completed his first novel, The Last Stage, about the last days of Wyatt Earp. Wow. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you for having me back on. Yeah, We were very excited to talk to you about this one. I mean, we could probably have you on for Batman episodes. We can have you on for more <laughs> Bond episodes. I think that, yeah, you're, you're a great resource, and we really appreciate you joining us again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to come on to talk about anything, pretty much. Excellent. Yeah. As long as right it has on. to do with movies and, and old television, I'm there. <laughs> you're all about it. Well, today we're talking uh, old movies. Uh, we're talking Dracula from 1931. Horror of Dracula, which is also known as Dracula from 1958, uh, and then Dracula from 1979, <laughs> and we titled this one Dracula-la-la-la with the three L's. <laughs> I wonder what this episode's about. Because we're talking uh, Lugosi, Christopher Lee, and Frank Langella, so we've got the three L uh, Draculas today. Pretty interesting pretty interesting concept, and I'm very excited to get into it. Yeah, totally. Me too. I have to say that the three L's, when I look back on it, they're all kind of my favorite Draculas out of hundreds of people who've played the part over the years <laughs> oh so specifically these actors were your favorite draculas not just the movies that they were in got it yeah and i think they're all very very good movies in their own right yeah mm-hmm. i agree mm-hmm. i agree we can jump right into dracula 31 um it's been a long time since i'd seen this one so it was great to revisit i revisited this one alone uh watching it on the small monitor uh with headphones on and it was a pretty creepy experience uh and it was good that to see a movie from the 30s still uh, evoke that kind of terror in me yeah i have to say i th- this is one of probably the first films that i ever saw at least first one i remember seeing from when i was a kid wow. or certainly the first one that i kind of chose to see uh back when i was a, a little kid growing up in north alabama in the 1960s they were still showing the shock theater package of all the early Universal horror films. Oh, right on! I wish they and still this did is that. one of the on, on yeah, TV. On TV, yeah, Saturday mm-hmm. nights at ten thirty, yeah, after the news. So, so me and my brother, who's a couple years older than I am, we stayed up and watched Dracula. And you know, you watch it now, and it seems pretty tame for me, being like <laughs> five years old at the time, scared yeah. the, the Jesus out of me. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, just just the concept that this guy's really dead. You know, yeah, so, <laughs> undead. Undead. Nosferatu. I mean, this is obviously Bela Lugosi's, I, I guess, the most known for, right? This character that he's known for outside of maybe White Zombie. Um, but this is probably well, the, the no, thing I, that people absolutely. remember. Well, for, this, for me, sure. I think his yeah. best mm-hmm. performance is probably as Igor in Son of Frankenstein. But 
Dracula's the role that defined him. It made him a star. He was like almost 48 years old when he made this movie. He'd played it on Broadway the, yeah. uh, for a few years before and brought it out to the West Coast and performed here and in San Francisco and L.A. And, um, you know, he was not the first choice of the filmmakers to star in the film because he was pretty much an unknown. He'd been in a few movies. Um, but, uh, sure. you know, you couldn't... Have, it was just that perfect pairing of actor and role that typecast him for the rest of his life. I am Dracula. This one really uh, got into the horror quickly. They, they, this was probably before the time of doing reveals and slow reveals of the <laughs> of the of the monster. And within, I didn't really, you know didn't remember that within the first ten minutes of this movie, you already see Dracula coming out of a coffin roaming around the catacombs of Castle Dracula right. with his brides. Well, and, and, he, and he starts off with a little, you know, yeah. creeping Nosferatu fingers, you know, coming right. out of there, as, you know. The coffin? Yeah, right out of the coffin. Um, it very much looks like the Murnau Nosferatu, uh, you know, and, and maybe it was the Carl Freund uh, uh, influence there because he, uh, he came over from the German silent era. Yeah, I think there's two things going on here. First off... Uh, you know, they had negotiated with Bram Stoker's widow Florence to get the rights to do the film and then based it on uh, the play that had been performed first in London, then on Broadway. That was written by an actor named Hamilton Dean when it came to Broadway. John Balderston kind of Americanized it a bit, and that's mm. kind of the basis for this film. Um, they had gotten one of the only surviving copies at that time of Nosferatu and watched it in preparing this film which is why you get some shots in this movie that are almost identical to shots from those early scenes in Nosferatu with Harker traveling, actually Hutter, it was called in that film, traveling up to Count Orlock's (laughs) castle. (laughs) They changed it just enough, yeah. (laughs) For me, Nosferatu is one of the creepiest films ever made. It was was financed by a group of Satanists and filmed at an actual (laughs) castle in Germany. Uh, So it's got its own style to it, you know, certainly. And just the whole... The production designer, Alvin Grau, was, I think, a genius in that whole idea of the, the vampire as this kind of almost more rat-like like creature rat. than Balak. Yeah. You know? Especially really, the teeth. And those like, yeah. crazy teeth. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, it's interesting. I, I was going to ask if, if uh, anyone involved had seen Nosferatu, because I, I know that like both because of the you know um, situation with uh, Bram Stoker's widow and you know, I don't know what like the, how early films like didn't um, quite have the circulation as we w- might imagine today. Um, but I, I, as I understood it, like Nosferatu was kind of thought to be lost for a long time. Uh, but apparently, they they did get to see it. The the filmmakers of Dracula, huh? Uh, yeah, that's that's what I found in my research for the book is that they had screened Nosferatu and and had a look at it, and it was said to be the one surviving copy. In America at yeah. that point. Because for those wow. who are listening who don't know, uh, Nosferatu was an unauthorized version when uh, F.W. Murnau made the film. He didn't bother about getting the rights. He just ripped yeah. off the story and renamed the characters. So as soon as it came out, Bram Stoker's widow sued them. And part of uh, the, the result of the lawsuit is that all copies of the film were supposed to have been destroyed. But ah. thankfully, for the sake of film history, some did survive and it's you know you can find it on youtube now right. and yeah. and i i still think it is the really the creepiest version of dracula ever made i i think some of the scenes in that i thought we were going to they were going to 
you know, we were going to see Bela Lugosi do it, like when he would come out of the, like how Count Orloff would come out of the casket just straight up without bending a knee, right? Just kind of float <laughs> up. I thought Bela Lugosi was going to do that almost, but they didn't, they didn't get into that part. So I was like, eh, I was kind of missing that. Well, speaking of, uh, speaking of being able to find it on YouTube, just wanted to jump in real quick and plug the fact that uh, we have it on our YouTube page. There you so go. We'll go check it out there. It it is well worth well worth the look. When I was a kid, I bought a standard eight millimeter version of it, <laughs> oh, and, wow. and watch. So I've seen the movie probably you know <laughs> dozens, if not hundreds, of times at this point in my life. You know, and yeah. I really appreciated Werner Herzog's remake of it too, in in the nineteen seventy nine, I think. So. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. I knew it was around the same time as our other Dracula film, our 70s Dracula film. I, I was wondering, um, you know, if that was kind of done at the same time or if they were just trying to reinvigorate the, the, the tale or, or what it was. But did they go with Count Orloff in that, too? Was it was it a remake? No, they called uh, him Dracula in that one. And oh, okay. And it's Klaus Kinski who worked often mm-hmm, with yeah. Herzog. They had this... Interesting looking dude. Hate, love, more hate kind of relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Kinski was just a madman, I think, you know. But uh, And Herzog is uh, kind of eccentric in his own right, but Definitely, one of yeah. my favorite directors. But uh, that one, again, they filmed it, uh, I think, in Holland. It's got that same sort of look as the silent one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. but that one's worth a watch though as a remake. I believe so. Yeah, it's you know it's it's if you're looking at it as a horror film, it's not very scary, but it is very stylish, you know, and very moody. Yeah, there's like a little like psychological horror thing to it. It, it feels like early Brian De Palma almost. There's a lot oh. of sort of like the wide angle handheld, and you know, it, there's kind of um this like you know, gritty ugliness to it. Uh, so it doesn't have the same German expressionism, obviously, as as the first one, but uh, as I don't know, the the German seventies new wave of uh, of 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 early uh, Herzog, yeah. Uh, but uh, to to pull us back into nineteen thirty one, uh, we, we talked about the Nosferatu similar looking fingers coming out of the coffin. But how funny was it? And I had forgotten about this that there was a bee that came out of a coffin. <laughs> yeah. A, a tiny coffin, right? Like a, like, a miniature coffin. That was a cool little, uh, little added uh, piece of art. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, it was yeah. almost like they were. He, he made so many vampires that he got bored and had to, to yeah. had to make bugs into vampires too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Maybe it's God. just kind of uh, uh, you know sort of setting up Renfield later on and, and right, eating exactly. the flies and so on, eating the bugs. Maybe this is a bug that would uh, eat uh, eat humans and, and you know put the shoe on the other foot. I do have to say though that uh, you know Lugosi, uh, his his hands are like you know actors within themselves. You know he had yeah. these yeah. very long thin fingers in his way yeah. of you know yeah. Yeah. And and Langella mimics that later on. So yeah, I think Langella, I and mean, we'll get to it. I think he was kind of doing a bit of Lugosi in in, in his portrayal of of Drac as well. But you know, we'll get there. Um, so what I mean, this was kind of its own story in a way, right? A lot changed from the original source material, the book. I mean, Bram Stoker's novel, um, mostly around the fact that we changed from Jonathan Harker being our main protagonist to Renfield, uh, at least for the beginning. And then, yeah, right. He, he's playing the Harker role at the very beginning. Yeah, right. We get to see him as Harker as the solicitor because that actually does happen in the book. Renfield is the first person to go see Dracula, and then Harker is the one that we actually follow. And Renfield has already, 
lost his mind, I think, by the time the novel begins. Right, he's already gone and come back. Yeah, we, we only sort of hear about him. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So I thought that that was an, an interesting move, but it kind of worked to condense the story a bit. And I'm, I'm sure that's what they were going for with the, with the script. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stoker's novel, it's, uh, you know, I've read it a couple of times all the way through, maybe three times. Um, and it's, you know, for me, it, it has a sort of flavor and a feeling and a mood to it that none of the movies really have captured. But it's done in this kind of unusual style of it's all told through diary entries and letters and gramophone recordings and all this. But, and, and like you know, people's recollections and, yeah. of what's happened. Yeah. The Demeter's captain's yeah. log and, and yeah. all that, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But it all adds up to to a very kind of creeping terror kind of feel, you know. Yeah, and I I think yeah. that, was that what he was going for for that was just let's look at a bunch of different perspectives, you know, get a, get all these different points of view, and then you can kind of put it all together as like a puzzle almost. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't realize till I was um, uh, doing some research on Stoker, uh, I think for the book, and that his uncle was uh, Stoker's from Ireland, from Dublin. His mm-hmm. uncle was. Sheridan J. Le Fanu, who wrote Carmilla, which is one of the earlier classic vampire stories. You know? Right. Oh, wow. So I think there was certainly something in within his family and within Irish tradition of this kind of <laughs> vampire lore, you know. On the throat of each victim, the same two marks. But uh, his book is much, much, it's really kind of epic. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. uh, Coppola's movie tried to cram right. of the book into it and in my estimation kind of to its detriment because uh, <laughs> too much you mean yeah the pacing in that film just seems really off to me like it's kind of mm. languorous in the beginning and then it's they get to the final half hour and oh crap we've got three quarters of the story to cram into the final 30 minutes yeah and i think that that's the most epic part of the story is when they actually start chasing him back to transylvania and it is kind of compressed into about a four minute section in the film and it's like okay he's all cut up now and quincy and um i guess harker i guess harker whoever else was there quincy i think was the american a younger man in the novel. Right. Yeah. I could not help overhearing your name. Might I inquire if you are the Dr. Sewer to sanitarium is at Whitby? Why, yes. I'm Count Dracula. Also tying us back into uh, with, with the 31 and the Nosferatu thing, like one place that kind of felt uh, I could really feel the German expressionism was, you know, not only sort of maybe the, the entrance of Dracula, where I... He comes down and and he's only in silhouette, right? In this one, I I feel like we, <laughs> there are so many entrances in these. We, but, we, we uh, see him it, full frame in this one, I believe. Yeah, in Nosferatu, you see him going upstairs as just a shadow. Right, yeah. that's a kind of classic image. Uh, I, you never get anything like that in the Lugosi Dracula, but there is, there are certainly German expressionistic touches. I mean, it's made yeah. at Universal, which was formed by Carl Limley, who was a yeah. German immigrant. And you mentioned uh, Karl Freund, who was uh, the photographer on a lot of the Murnau films in Germany. Right. And, uh, you know, he photographs the 1931 Dracula. And I think particularly in those opening shots where the camera's moving through the castle, to me, that's very much more of a Karl Freund influence than a Todd Browning influence, you know. And then... Freud goes on to direct The Mummy, which is a very, and, and Mad Love with Peter Lorre, which are both pretty stylish horror films. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and the the thing I was, I was kind of building toward, though, was like, uh, there's another shot that like felt very Freud to me, which is that like, when the boat arrives in the harbor, 
uh, we're kind of hearing this like you know a group of, of people oh, right you know, discovering it and like what the hell's happening where is this thing and look at the captain he's lashed to the wheel and like we just see this like you know dead captain corpse I think like, in that one you, you know uh, hanging on the, the wheel shadow. but yeah, in shadow, shadow in the wheel. no no yeah exactly it's all played in shadow and like and you know there's something um yes it's expressionistic um but especially for a movie in the early 30s this uh it, it felt you know very visceral to see how you know he was hanging up by his arm and like yeah you know the thing that was holding him up there was the fact that he was lashed to it uh but but that he was completely gone we see renfield for the first time too and the people are like oh he's mad they're talking to each other and <laughs> oh my god he's gone mad <laughs> and he's like ha, 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 you know pulling the same thing that uh they did in dracula <laughs> dead and loving it uh, <laughs> right yeah um dwight fry that really again kind of typecast him he was sort of a character actor at the time and after that just played you know he went on to beat the hunchback fritz and frankenstein that later in that same mm. year and pretty much played hunchbacks and assistants and monster roles after that i thought he stole um, this film i know this film's known for totally. lugosi but i thought yeah. fry was awesome i thought he was very creepy and that Honestly, that shot of him on the on well, it's not the Demeter, it's the Vesta, but in it's the, the movie, it's, it's the, the boat. Vesta, yeah, right. Um, but he, that was one of the scariest things I'd seen, and I was I was pretty creeped out. It was just that low or that high angle looking down, down into the hold as he's looking yeah. up and <laughs> laughing maniacally. And and I remember reading that the cinematographer had lit that in such a way that the way he's holding onto the the rails, you can almost kind of see that it's like a his that it's a spider, you know, where he's the head and body of the spider right. and his arms and the rails are yeah. the spider. Oh, I totally get that. It. Yeah. So you get a lot of those kind of touches in this movie. And it's one of the first Hollywood movies, I think that just fully embraced the idea that there's a monster here. We're not going to try to explain this away at the end, you know, like London yeah. after midnight where there's a vampire, but in the end it's just an actor trying to get someone to confess to a crime, you know? This is an ancient uh, monster that's uh, coming after, yeah, trying to take over London, or one city at a time, I guess. Yeah, I've always, you know, at one point I read through Dracula and just thought, what is Dracula's purpose in this? And it became pretty clear to me, once he gets to London, he's hiding coffins in different houses throughout the city with his native earth. And I kind of gathered that he had sort of, after after 400 years being at, near his castle in Transylvania, people were on to him. Yeah. And he was having a hard time getting new victims and getting blood every right. night. So he goes to this big, massive, teeming metropolitan city right. where he can hide in plain sight. Yeah, no one's going to take his invites anymore, right? Because uh, yeah. uh, too yeah. many people didn't come back from those invites. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- that's really interesting that you pointed out because, I mean, in, in all three of these movies, it feels like his motivation for leaving is always like you know, seeing either Lucy or Mina or you know whoever whoever's picture you know uh, catches his, att- his attention, and, and that kind of gets him uh, rocking and rolling. Versus in the book where you're right that it's like he needs to uh, he, he needs to, to start farming in, in, in a different uh, part of the uh, part of the earth here. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, just good to, to wrap up or, or go back on that uh, Renfield laugh moment like. That was also sort of played off of that shadow of the captain. And we hear Renfield long before we see him. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like as a movie that was, you know, one of the first talkies, that's a pretty advanced use of sound. Right. Um, I, I, I know in, in M, they did 
uh, some things that were similar to that. But that that the too whistling kind of, and the the, the whistling and like and, and like you know seeing and, and hearing things or sorry uh, hearing things way before you hear, uh, see them. Um. You know, and like his his very um, Renfield and this one, his very uh, uh, trademark laugh, that little tight jawed, you know, like kind of wheezing like a torn bagpipe. Uh, it's just this really like uh, intense sound. And it was scary and haunting to now. Right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> imagine that, you know, 90 years ago. <laughs> Wise man. Yeah, I mean, this, when it came out, was considered a very frightening film. You know, children would scream in the theaters watching it. You know, so, <laughs> um, which, again, I saw when I was a little kid, and it scared me. Yeah. You know, again, Lugosi's charisma, I think, carries a, a, a lot of the weight of it. I saw it on the big screen for the first time some years ago, Fathom Events, doing these things where they show yeah. it along mm. with the Spanish version that was shot concurrently. Yeah. And, you know, after years of seeing it only on TV screens, basically, when you see it on a big movie screen, Lugosi's performance really shines through. I mean, he really commands the screen when he's on. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of the subtle things he's doing where he looks very still, but there's a lot going on with his eyes and all that kind of stuff. And his yeah. whole presence. And, and in all of, well, in all... All three of the versions you're talking about today, the best scenes for me in them are, are when the direct confrontations with uh, Van Helsing. Yes. You know, and yeah. In the 31 movie, Van Helsing's played by Edward Van Sloan, who had also starred with Lugosi in the Broadway version. Huh. Uh, uh, when they brought uh, Todd Browning on to direct it, um, Browning's first choice to play Dracula and the Lemleys, frankly, was Lon Chaney, you know, Lon Chaney oh. Sr., Senior, because uh, okay. Browning had made several films of him. There's one called The Terror. If you've never seen it, with Cheney and Joan Crawford, uh, it is the strangest, weirdest, <sighs> most mesmerizing film you'll probably ever see. But Cheney, I think, would have been a very. I, I feel like he would have been a more grotesque kind of Dracula. He would have gone in for doing one of his weird makeups, right? You know, whereas again with Lugosi, he's playing it almost more like a. Kind of a demented Valentino figure with the really yeah. brilliantine hair and all this. Not at all like he's described in the novel. Yeah. Romantic and, and and slicked back and very put together. And he's a, he's really a count, right? I mean, he he, yeah. he has that feeling, especially because he kind of stands with his chest out quite a bit, when, especially when they were in back. the theater, right? When they're in the theater talking, and he first meets uh, Doctor Seward, and I think mm-hmm. Harker was there as well as um, Lucy. Lucy and, I think and, and Harker Mina, and Lucy yeah. were together in this one. Um, mm-hmm. He really has like kind of a presence, and he he makes everyone look a little smaller than him uh, just from being on screen with them. And he just had that nice stature. even even when he first comes in and they're on a the platform and he's down kind of below them a bit. He still <laughs> yeah. his persona towers over them, you know. Right, right. exactly. Well, and yeah. and then you know, I, obviously this is different than the book, where in the book he uh, Dracula that is like you know works hard not to. Uh, come off as sounding foreign to uh to, to mm-hmm. english speakers uh and then in in the 58 and 79 versions uh both of those draculas come off as native english speakers as they are uh but in this one there's something just like so uncanny and like um it's it's all it's like the rhythms of, of his speech and how he like hits certain words like i never drink 
wine yeah. and it's like you know or, or or whatever it is well there's a musicality to it too it's, you know, yeah it's, i never drink wine you know right right, right. Down, you know yeah and, and he um, having um that extra layer on it also kind of like makes it so that anytime he does something weird that is a vampire thing everyone around him in england just oh they kind of like you know stay a little polite because maybe it's just a weird eastern european custom thing thing. yeah uh whereas i think you know in the later movies you know particularly the first time we sit down with uh franklin jella as dracula when he's meeting the whole gang um you know he does a lot of weird things in that where he's like no no medicine tainting the blood and all this stuff and like (laughs) but but because he's he's so uh sort of fluent in english and just seems like he uh sort of is amongst his peers um it feels a little weird that everyone uh just accepts that what he says you know what i mean like whereas if he had more of the bella lugosi sort of bizarre personality and uh, you know and and way he talks and the way he carries himself like you were saying like it it might uh make some of their behaviors the the english people's behaviors you know uh Hmm. more accepting of of his his uh his his oddities maybe he's just eccentric and not a vampire (laughs) i I thought that's kind of what they were going for with uh with coppola's uh dracula i thought dracula and that was extremely eccentric and he felt extremely not from london right it reminds me of the broken battlements of my own castle in Transylvania. Oh, Lucy, you're so romantic. Laugh all you like. I think he's fascinating. When Dracula came out, you know, being one of the first real horror films made in America, and certainly the first sound horror film, I think, uh, it became a a big hit. And actually, uh, Universal had lost money the year before, having spent tons of money on a film called King of Jazz with Paul Whiteman, who was a popular band leader then. But that lost a ton of money. Was that like a, a mockbuster of uh, the jazz singer type of thing? No, it was, uh, you know, I'm not yeah, sure what the plot of it was, but it, uh, it it was, I think, filming in two-strip Technicolor and, you know, kind of oh, wow. big budget musical extravaganza, um, but didn't really go over well at the box office like they'd hoped. So Dracula sort of saved Universal's butt financially. Wow. <laughs> and it wouldn't be the first time that happened. They were in a slump again 10 years later. Son of Frankenstein kind of got them out of that. <laughs> and 10 years after that, again, they were in a financial slump. And Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, <laughs> which was the only other time that Lugosi actually played Dracula in a film. Oh. You know, everyone thinks he made all these Dracula movies. He did play other vampires, but he only played Dracula on film twice. Interesting, wow. interesting. So Bella Lugosi saved them twice from saved them from being undead. Yeah, saved them twice. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you get to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, where you've got you know these the two biggest comedians at Universal <sighs> making fun of these monsters, although in a right. kind of loving way. It's really a good monster film and a good comedy film that coexist pretty nicely, I think. Yeah. Um, but after that, uh, monsters really were kind of passe not really uh threatening anymore you got into more of the nuclear monsters of giant right. insects and godzilla right. and so on and then hammer films had the idea of resuscitating those old monsters and um they'd been doing 
mostly radio adaptations and TV adaptations in right. the movies. But but they um, wanted to revive first Frankenstein, uh, which they did, and their idea was to do them in color and not shy away from the gorier aspects yeah. of them. Yeah, you know? right. And also do them on a budget. You know, they were all pretty low budget. But for low budget films, they really do have a great look and yeah, style. Yeah, for sure. To them, great sets. You know? Yeah. And and. Uh, most of them star either Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee, or at least in the early days, often right. both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. and that and anything that Peter Cushing's in, he lifts it immediately into a different level. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Totally. And so this was that's where Dracula Fifty Eight then came from. Is that uh, part of that uh, resurgence or their? Uh, yeah. Right. First they did uh, Curse of Frankenstein, and. Um, which spawned its own series, which unlike the Universal movies where the, the Frankenstein sequels follow the monster, with Hammer, the Frankenstein oh, series follows follow Dr. Frank. Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> uh, which is wow. a different take on it. And, and, you know, again, I love all those films. And, yeah. um, and then that was a, a pretty big hit, so they followed it up with Dracula, which is kind of the reverse of what Universal had done. And um, when it came to do Dracula, they got the actor who had played Frankenstein's monster, who was six foot four inch Christopher right. Lee, uh, to come in and do Dracula. And then, and besides being very tall, I always thought Peter Cushing was kind of a short guy, and he wasn't. He was about six feet tall as well. <laughs> but because he often Just, appeared next to Christopher <laughs> Lee, he's dwarfed. Yeah, you know, right. And, it's like you know, Mars having, and Michael Jordan, those old Nike ads. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's like, you know, I had the, the pleasure of working on a project with Christopher Lee. And, yeah, I, I get I came up to, like, his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, he was very much a towering presence. And give that plus that big, deep voice of his, you know. Right, right. I thought this was a, a really good portrayal of Van Helsing with Peter Cushing. I thought that this was uh, my favorite of, of the three, uh, probably. But I also called this movie The Adventures of Grand Moff Tarkin and Alfred Pennyworth because I didn't realize that <laughs> Alfred from the Bat- 89 Batman is... Uh, yeah. That's right, My- Michael Seward, Duff, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, like with uh, the Universal Dracula, it was filmed on a budget. I actually think the Hammer... Dracula cost less to make than the Lugosi one. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, they had the advantage of uh, the English countryside and some old British estates and very good production design. I mean, again, oh, Hammer yeah. was, was great at getting the most out of what they yeah. had, you know. Well, I, and I, I think another big thing that I guess we didn't really address in the 31 version is that, like, the other advantage that Hammer and everyone else had coming after this was that they were coming after Dracula. Like they already, uh, the audiences already had an expectation of what Dracula means and what the, this monster is going to entail. Uh, all the like, rules and everything with all, it. Some of the rules, but like also to know, like have the audience always be on edge with, with Dracula. Whereas, um, I don't know if you remember that there was that, um, kind of bizarre scene between Mina and Lucy in the 31 uh, Dracula where one of them, I can't remember, it was Lucy maybe, who was like, ah, castles, Dracula, Transylvania. Like she's going to get whisked off her feet by this, you know, royalty or whatever. I think he's wonderful. No one would ever do that scene (laughs) after the 31 Dracula. You know, know, because the audience's expectation is like, what are you, crazy? Like, of course not. (laughs) 
they went for the monster in this one. Christopher Lee was yeah. a straight up yeah. uh, murdering to, monster. Yeah. Yeah. To me, Christopher Lee is the most feral of all the actors right. who played yeah. Dracula. He is very much like an animal in a human skin. You know? He only really has yeah. one section where he's talking as a you know a proper gentleman with Harker when Harker first shows up. Um, and then after that, it is it is on. He is covered in blood by the end of, by the rest of the movie, you know. And he's 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 really a monster, like you said, like a feral monster. You, you know, it's funny. Like th- this movie, like speaking of the feral thing, it's like I I had never seen this one. Uh, I you know it it is um, one of those things where I was only aware of it because of that one shot, which is that like. The one, the, the the famous shot from the movie where you know Christopher Lee bursts through the door. There's that insane close up, and he's got you know blood dripping down his chin uh, and his fangs exposed. Right. Um, and you're right. Like Farrell is is the exact way to sort of describe uh, the way he plays it in this one. Yeah, I think uh, in this one they, unlike the other two, which were both based on the same John Baldiston Hamilton Dean play, this one went back to the source material a little bit. Right. Especially the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, but again, because they're working on such a limited budget, they have to, you know, make a lot of changes to it and pretty much keep it all just within England and, and uh, right. you know, a little bit of Dracula at the beginning. But they do change the story around with, with an in- interesting twist, I thought, of Harker going to Castle Dracula to kill Dracula. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. the mission right off the bat. That kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. Yeah, I was so surprised when he was sitting there reading his diary and it was like, and I have to, you know, do this thing and god willing i'm gonna kill him and it's like wait a forever end his reign of terror and it's like wait a second he's a vampire hunter? right <laughs> yeah, I, yeah apparently wild. working in cahoots with uh, van helsing you know because how they started that film was that same journal entry from stoker's novel of of harker's talking about how things turned cold when he walked into or you know came past the threshold of through, the through castle the and or whatever yeah. everything was no there were no birds singing wherever i was or all that's right so there was a lot of mysterious uh ghostly stuff happening um and then all of a sudden it just takes its own turn and, and becomes its own movie but at the beginning of it i was like oh they might be following a little closer to you know what the novel was and that was kind of the end of it um but Still, it's kind of its own thing, and they did a really neat job with this one. I thought this was a really fun vampire movie. And very much like the novel in the sense that in the novel, there aren't that many scenes that Dracula is central to, that he's a part of. Right. But his Mm. presence hangs over the entire thing, and he's talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And this movie's very much like that, because Christopher Lee's in it less than 10 minutes, I think. But you certainly feel his presence throughout. Yeah, yeah. Count Dracula, I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. I must apologize for not being here to greet you personally, but I trust that you have found everything you needed. When Van Helsing first gets there, and you're hoping and expecting Christopher Lee to be in that, uh, you know, stone bathtub, uh, open face <laughs> coffin, uh, and it turns out no, it was, uh, well, Harker. What was it Harker? Harker, or, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the, the, there was no like Renfield in this one, right? There was no Renfield in this one. No. Yeah. yeah, but I loved how they, Van Helsing just gets right to business in this one. It yeah. is right to stakes <laughs> yeah. in the heart. I mean, yeah. without question. Um, yeah. And it, it's also Peter Cushing, so it makes it you know so much more fun. But I thought he was he was a great Van Helsing um, in this one. I I, I like movies where. Uh, you know, you see the person that's a real expert on screen putting things together or using tools and all that. And he was really good with that. You know, while they did that in the 31 with the 
the small um, compact mirror and things right. so he couldn't, you know, see. Oh, but right. in this one, he had, you know, the garlic flowers and he was pulling up the wolf's bane <laughs> and all these, you know, different tools and, and the stakes and everything. And he was he was ready to be a Van Helsing uh, vampire hunter, like as as you know him today, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, it's again, Peter Cushing's such a good actor, you know, that you believe everything he does. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, in the face of it, these are pretty ridiculous, unbelievable situations. <laughs> But that's the thing that makes the Hammer film so good is to none of the actors ever play it tongue in cheek. I mean, you no. do get some characters yeah. on the periphery who are comedy relief, you know. All right, the guy that with but, the uh, the toll booth there that uh, right, you know he was pissed right. off that they yeah. kept running through his toll booth. I thought that was good. Yeah. But you need that moment of levity, right? Right. It would be a pretty dark film had they not had that little moment. And and by the time you get to the end, it's like you know it's like Errol Flynn, you know, jumping right. up and running down the table and leaping to the curtains. I mean, it's oh, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very so fun. So you know, it's. In, I think it is the best of the Hammer Dracula films. Although I, I do like uh, Dracula's Visit from the Grave and Taste of Blood of Dracula. It came later. Christopher <laughs> Lee, after a certain point, really felt that none of them were were um, faithful enough for his taste to the Stoker novel. Uh, and uh, interestingly, in Christopher Lee's interpretation of Dracula in all the films except Scars of Dracula. He never turns into mist. He never turns into a wolf. He never turns into a bat. You know, you see mm-hmm. him in Dracula's Risen from the Grave. You know, he crashes to a window and just kind of <laughs> runs across the rooftops, you know. <laughs> um, you know, he, he never turns into a bat and flies away or into a wolf. Yeah. So it's pretty much just a humanoid monster, you know. But in Scars of Dracula, he does turn into a bat in one scene, and, and you get that iconic sort of shot from the novel of, Dracula scaling the castle wall right. in Scars of Dracula. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's not one of the better films. That's got and, that uh, Batman effect, or Batman, the 60s Batman effect, when they would walk up the walls and it was just the camera pointed <laughs> sideways and it looked like they were walking yeah. up the building. <laughs> same, kind of, right. same kind of effect, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, when I was a kid, really loved the Christopher Lee films. And then, again, you know, having, having an opportunity to meet him was, was quite a thrill. Um, oh, which I'll, I'll tell just a little story here. It's when I was Please. doing the, J- the James Bond DVDs, and we arranged a lunch with Christopher Lee to see if he would narrate some of them, some oh. of our documentaries. Wow. And, uh, you know, I came prepared with a copy of his autobiography to get him to sign it and all this. And uh, I'd read the autobiography, which, if you read it, about 80% of it is golf course stories you know his his autobiography might as well be called you know golf courses i have played on by Christopher what was Lee. his handicap yeah yeah but uh, he says in that that he and peter cushing uh, up until peter cushing passed away they would call each other every day and they both loved oh, the old cool. warner brothers cartoons so when they called each other they would talk in these warner brothers cartoon voices when they answered yeah. the phone you know. <laughs> And I turned to him and said, you know, with your deep voice, I just can't imagine you doing a Warner Brothers cartoon character. Before I finish saying that, he goes, great suffering succotash. <laughs> so he is a fun guy then. Yeah, I mean, he certainly had a, you know, sense of humor about himself, I think, you know. And then He's later in on, Gremlins he a... too. He had to have some sort of sense of humor. You know? <laughs> rabies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, later on we did a DVD for... i got um, rabies. Yeah, for Hound of the Hammer, Hound of the Baskerville, where... Peter Cushing is a great Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. and um, and went over and uh, interviewed Christopher Lee for that, and also for Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, where he plays Mycroft, Holmes' brother, brother, yeah. Which he says he you know wore a kind of bald head cap in it. 
honestly, it's I think the only film he ever did without his hairpiece. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> At least later films, you know. Because um, as Dracula, he always wore the same sort of gray-tinged, gray and brown-tinged wig, you know, later on. Uh, and you can kind of see it in horror of Dracula when at the end when he's bending over uh, Van Helsing like he's going to bite him, and some of the hair is kind of so. I thought that's just what happens to vampires. I, I chalked it up to yeah. just part of being a vampire. Uh, you yeah. mentioned some of the gore and some of the special effects in this one. I mean, they they did kind of go for it, especially kind of a a big epic ending for for Dracula. He didn't just you know, die yeah, or he, disappear from the sunlight. He he really did get burned yeah, to death. And yeah. Up. Well, he, he, even the first, well, right after the credits, the first shot, uh, we see the, the title Dracula and we get like about blood. 18 drips of they uh, did not, stage blood. Yeah, it didn't end. It just kept dripping. I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's always very bright red blood in these movies. I think they called it Kensington Red. Okay. <laughs> you know? but, and also... Uh, to my knowledge, the pond, Chris, it's Kensington Red. Yes, to, to my knowledge, uh, Christopher Lee was the first, first Dracula in English, or first vampire for that matter in English-speaking films to be seen with fangs. That's oh, right, because yeah, Bella Lugosi didn't have the fangs, right? Didn't wear fangs. Right. Yep, and Langella didn't either, when he played him later on. But there's just one more thing, Mister Harker. I have to go out, and I will not be back until after sundown tomorrow. But until then, please look upon this house as your own. It's funny, in, in The Horror of Dracula, or a.k.a. Dracula 1958, um, you know, e- even though it is kind of a lower-budget movie, um, there, there were several moments where there was a lot of things that, um, you know, felt very sort of cinematic. Like, I, I love when Christopher Lee first comes in. Uh, it's like Lucy goes to, like, o- open her window, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll lay in bed all night. And then she, like, opens the window for him, and... She's like lay, laying there, like waiting for him, and then he, he finally appears. And he shows up in silhouette, takes two steps forward, he's in light, you know, takes two steps forward, he's like half in darkness, you know, takes two steps forward, you know, it's like, and, and he goes through about like eight different lighting setups there, and, and his face just changes with, with light and shadow. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels very, very um, uh, sort of. German expressionistic uh, with the way that the sort of light and shadow were dancing across his face and that. I mean, the, and, and it sort of ends with, with him throwing up his, his cowl, uh, Batman style. But it, you know, that whole shot, I mean, it, it was just one, one shot and he walks kind of around the bed to get to her. Uh, but, you know, just the, the lighting piece of that w- w- was really kind of thrilling, even for kind of a static, shot yeah and in that scene i think it's melissa stribling playing i think she's called lucy in this one um you know, who's yeah. Harker, harker's wife and um she i think terence fisher the director who you know all the best hammer horror films are directed by terence fisher he really had a great cinematic style as you were saying uh, yeah. but she was having trouble kind of getting the right look that he wanted and uh, he he finally said or pulled her aside and said, "Look, just play it like you've been made love to all night long, and it's just been like the greatest lovemaking of your <laughs> life." 
<laughs> and then she nailed it on the next take, so to speak. <laughs> so, so I did, to I did, speak, exactly. That is something that's brought up in the Wikipedia, though, that uh, one of the quotes from Fisher was, his greatest contribution to the Dracula myth was to bring out the underlying sexual element of this creature, and and it, it did. I mean, that's, that's really what it... Uh, it's it's in essence like a, a sexually transmitted disease, right? I mean, you you get well, and it is a Dracula. penetration, right? But um, yeah, that's the thing that I think the Christopher Lee movies kind of introduce into the vampire films is that the women aren't shying away from Dracula; they're kind of throwing themselves at him, you opening know? the windows for him, letting him in. Sensual, sexual creature, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, in, especially in the, the when you get to the later films, every time he bites one of the women. They're practically like orgasming in his arms. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, especially in the '79 version where they, you know, at least the version we watched, or uh, I watched, I should say. Um, so, the theatrical version apparently uh, had sort of normal color timing. In the uh, John Badham preferred uh, uh, color timing, that's sort of available on home video ever since uh, it's been available. Uh, it's always been this sort of desaturated thing, but there's one scene in particular where it's not that way, which is uh, where you know Dracula is uh, what looks like seducing uh, it, um, Mina, and it feels like when he gets there, it's it's not uh, it's not because he's thirsty, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> or not in that way, <laughs> and uh, but but it is it, it's totally it's played like a sex scene, right? Like the color just goes out, uh, you know, cranked up to eleven, and the whole time it 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 feels like the way you'd shoot like an erotic thriller or something, and 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 it is it's played very explicitly on on those those tropes. Yeah, um, before we skip ahead to that one, I'll do a quick wrap up here of uh, the Christopher Lee movie. See, again, was yeah. reluctant to come back to Dracula, so the next sequel to the 1958 Dracula or Horror Dracula, which is what it was called in the U.S. because Universal released it and didn't want people to think they were just re-releasing right. the Bela Lugosi movie, right? Right. Um, but in the sequel, uh, Brides of Dracula, as with Frankenstein, they follow Van Helsing instead of following Dracula, and he's going off to kill this other German Germanic vampire. Another oh, very cool. good film, by the way. Uh, and then... 1965, I believe it is, we get to uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and then that kind of kicks off the Christopher Lee series of Dracula films, where you get like three or four pretty good ones in the 60s up to about 1970. And then the last few, it's like, (laughs) not not much to recommend those, you know, Dracula 80, 1972, or Satanic Rites, you know. I hear a lot then, about Dracula, Prince of Darkness. I heard that that is a it's a great one. That's one where I don't think he's got a line of dialogue in it. Uh, really? Just, wow. Uh, because again, Christopher Lee felt like the the dialogue was kind of dumb and didn't want to deliver it. <laughs> so that's when funny. he appears, he's just kind of hissing like a like a snake and almost, <laughs> you know. So, so I don't think really... he had a line in the Mummy either, right? He was just the monster. No, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Kool Aid Manning through his through the walls and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, certainly if you've never seen the 58 Dracula I think it really holds up well still that's great Um, I think of these three it's the only one I I don't think I've ever seen it on a movie screen which I'd love to someday Uh, and I know they did a re-release on uh, Blu-ray some years ago because uh, there were some cuts that were made uh, in it by the censors in Britain at the time Uh, 
that were restored from a Japanese print that had been found ah, uh, and wow. released and released on uh, Blu-ray. But it's uh, a little bit more of his disintegration at the end, and uh, I think one of the biting scenes has a little little more to it. You know, so got so, it. Cool. So if you yeah. want to see it, get the that new Blu-ray disc that has the the British Film Institute restored version of it on there. Hell yeah. Is he, is he safe? forgotten all this ca- Who? Dracula. Oh yes, he's the only one who is. Young Mino found him on the beach last night and we took him to Carfax. As for the rest of the crew, look. But then, after that, after the, the Christopher Lee era, you know, there was um, a lot of low-budget Dracula films over the years. Most not really worth talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But in the 70s, there was a guy named Radu Floreshu who wrote a book called In Search of Dracula uh, and with a co-author whose name I'm forgetting now, unfortunately. But but that book was, uh, you know, sold a lot of copies in the early 70s. It was around the time of all these sort of occult books and the... And, you know, in search of ancient astronauts and all that sort sure, of Sure, yeah. Movement. Eric Von Daniken. Exactly. So it was just an era where there was a lot of that sort of, you know, fringes of culture stuff entering into the culture. And that book was the one that kind of introduced um, Vlad Tepish and, ah. uh, to the world, you know. Although um, uh, Stoker, when he created the character, he had taken a trip up to Whitby, England, which I went to and I was researching my Dracula book and loved it. Uh, I'll put in a plug here. Go to Whitby. It's up in Yorkshire, beautiful part of the country. And um, I stayed at the Chiltern Guest House, which had very nice people running it. It fixed you a very good breakfast every morning. And you can walk down. Were you covered in wolf's bane and, uh, and garlic? <laughs> yeah, garlic flowers. I was not. I wasn't terribly worried, but uh, but that you know they're they're very proud of their Dracula heritage because Stoker, uh, when he was writing the novel, went into a library there to do some research on Transylvania and read a little bit about Vlad Tepish and how Vlad Tepish was known as the son of the devil or in the local language Dracul, you right. know, and, and as the yeah. son of it was Dracula. Uh, so he he then writes that down on a notepad, you know, that, that he had, where he because uh, he was going to call the, the vampire Count Vampir, <laughs> not uh, okay. quite the same, right? No. <laughs> but he wrote Dracula, then he writes Dracula again, then he writes Dracula all in capital letters, and then underlines it. And it's like, yeah. yes, I'm choosing this name, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's where he got the name, and so it is sort of in that way, sort of kind of based on. In, in the Stoker novel on Vlad Tepish. Uh, this is Vlad, Vlad the Impaler we're talking about, not Vladislav Vlad the, the Impaler, Poker, right? right? The From <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and again, you know, Vlad Tepish, Vlad the Impaler, he was, you know, that's was a ruler of, of Romania back in the mm-hmm. day, 500 years ago. So you get a little bit of Stoker talking about having Dracula talk about that to Harker in the beginning of, you know. The, the blood that runs through these veins and so on. Right. <laughs> but also, uh, when you're uh, in Whitby, there's kind of these two cliffs with a river running between them. And you can sit on one and look across at the other, and there's the ruins of the old abbey, which, I swear to God, it's, you know, Carfax you can see Stoker abbey. sitting there thinking, not thinking <laughs> Castle Dracula. There it is. Oh, got so, it, yeah. Uh, or Carfax Abbey, perhaps. Yeah. And in the novel, he he set part of the novel in Whitby, uh, because that is where this, the Demeter that's carrying Dracula from Transylvania crashes into England at, at Whitby Harbor. 
Um, right, and, right. Uh, and there's a, a little bit in there of uh, Lucy and Mina as they're talking, walking up the 99 steps to the ruins of the old abbey. And the 99 <laughs> steps are still there. And, the, and uh, when you're looking across, by the way, to look at that abbey, there's a bench you can sit on that's called Mina's Bench. <laughs> really? A plaque on it. So they really embraced the whole Dracula thing. They've got a little Dracula museum there. And uh, I even took a little boat ride out where they sort of take you out and bring you back in. And they say, over there's the beach where a Dracula ship arrived. And, brought <laughs> right <him> on. And, <laughs> and he leapt off as a dog and off into the night. Right. It's also a little infamous because being with the Abbey being built up on a cliff, uh, it has been known from time to time that some of the older graves there near the cliffside, they'll just kind of fall through and fall <laughs> down onto the beach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Watch your head. Yeah, so oh. it does have a kind of macabre aspect, yeah. but a delightful, del- despite that, <laughs> really delightful little town. And I've been ever since I've left, I've been dying to go back. And they have a goth festival there twice yeah. a year. Literally so, dying to go back. So there's yeah. my plug for Whitby and the Chiltern Guest House. Yeah. So you know, looking forward to going back someday. So uh, how did Bruce end up dying? Oh, he was walking on the beach and a coffin got hit by a corpse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be the perfect way for me to go out. Yeah. Be, Pancake you know. by a corpse. Yeah. yeah. That's a good segue because Whitby Beach, like you said, was where uh, the Demeter crashed and uh, that's where the wolf jumped out of Dracula, right? And, and that's how the 79 Dracula begins. Right. Because again, Dracula had become sort of a figure, especially with all the comedians doing their Lugosi imitations, uh, oh, just yeah. kind of a, a comedy figure by the 60s, you know, and you had Grandpa Monster, who's supposed to be Dracula, you know. Right, right. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but then, in this, around 1975, 76, a decision was made to revive the old Balderston Dean play of Dracula that had made Lugosi a star on Broadway, and they did. And, um, and there had been some revivals in, in the 60s and early 70s, but this was going to be the first big full-on Broadway production of it since the 1920s. And Edward Gorey, who was a very well-known illustrator, uh, designed the sets for it. So as a play, the sets were all basically like black line illustrations. You know, mm. If you see photos of it, it's pretty amazing. But it, But every scene had one item in it that was red, you know. Should be glasses right. of red wine, or a rose in a vase, or the blood, or whatever. And uh, Langella was chosen to play Dracula. He was a very well-known Broadway actor at that point, and had actually already played Zorro in a TV remake of the Marco Zorro in the early seventies. Oh. Um, but probably best known at that point, film-wise, for um, uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife. That thing. Diary of a Mad Housewife. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes, he plays the sort of Lothario in that who's a character not terribly unlike the way he plays Dracula. <laughs> but, he, but he had played Dracula in a revival of the 20s play before he did it again on Broadway. You know? So similar how Bela Lugosi did it. I mean, you know, stage first and then brought it to, to screen. And, yeah. Right. So they do the Broadway play. The Broadway play becomes a sensation. And then immediately there's a Dracula musical that's put on at the same time <laughs> uh, there. And uh, after... Uh, Langella did it for the initial run of the play for one season, and then he went off to do other things. And uh, I think Raul Julia came in to replace him next, and uh, oh, there was wow. a touring version of it that Jeremy Brett starred in before he did Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so, you know, there are quite a few other Draculas after that. Yeah. Uh, and one of the performances that uh, Langella's doing 
Walter Mirisch, the film producer, had gone to see it with his wife. And he, Mirisch had been interested in trying to revive Dracula for a while. And he's watching this play and thinking, well, this is it. You know, we'll just redo the yeah. play and make it a movie. <laughs> so they do, but they, they kind of reinvented it in a way in that they uh, didn't have the Edward Gorey kind of... I mean, that's the sort of thing that works great when you're there live seeing it on a Broadway stage. Seeing it recreated on a, as a film set wouldn't have worked, I don't think. Mm. You know, you would have literally been watching a filmed play at that point. Right. Which <laughs> um, still, I would. Kind of, I wish someone had filmed that play. I'd love to see it. You know? But that sounds like yeah. a black and a black and white set with those um, contrasty items, elements. right? Yeah. So, um, but this was. I mean, according to you know Wikipedia, this was originally planned to be shot in black and white. Um, and they were trying I to go for that. I think that was Badham's idea in the beginning when he was chosen to direct, but... Um, Shut down but, immediately by the studio? Yeah. Pretty much, like, thanks, yeah. no thanks, yeah. yeah. Well, also, quite honestly, at that time, there were so few movies being made in black and white that it cost more to do a black and white film right. than one in color. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that may have been part of the consideration. But, um, but yeah, they get John Badham to direct, who, who was coming off of Saturday Night Fever, <laughs> yeah, it was a, not the guy you'd immediately think of to direct no. a quote-unquote yeah. horror film. No. On the other hand, their approach to it, uh, you know, wasn't that Dracula was so much a horror film as it was a love story, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, which again, not unlike the Lugosi one, which when it was promoted when it first came out, it came out a few days before uh, Valentine's Day, in 1931. <laughs> and the newspaper ads would say the story of the strangest love ever, ever shown. You know? So that became a so, date night movie, and it I just guess so. exploded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, Langella's interpretation of it, I think, is what makes the movie work because he's not coming in playing a monster, playing no. a heavily accented Lugosi figure, or doing it the Christopher Lee way. He mm-hmm. plays it uh, like a. Well, he's the Byronic Dracula. He's playing it like right. a character from a, from an Emily Bronte or Jane Austen novel. You know. Yeah, he's um, a Don Juan, Don Juan de Dracula. Don Juan yes. de Dracula. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, very sort of dashing, romantic. Uh, yeah. Portrayal of Dracula. I mean, he's he's the most romantic of these Draculas, or the romanticism is the heaviest. But on the other side of that, the the gore and the violence in this one is kicked up to eleven versus these other films. I mean, this one gets pretty pretty nasty. Because it is nineteen seventy nine, you know, and you've had The Shining, I think, by that point. Actually, right. Shining came out the next year, I think, nineteen eighty. Yeah. Well, it's still uh, the seventies. We're, we're pretty. But you had The Exorcist. You know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, and you'd had some other sort of gory horror movies and and so on. So yeah, they they and and because Langella's Dracula is more you know no fangs, no blood, all that sort of stuff. That's why you get the ancillary characters being more made up and monstrous and so on to kind of mm-hmm. give it that horror movie feel. Um, but you also, you know, when I first saw it, uh, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. So me and a friend of mine, we go <laughs> off to see this movie because I'm a big Dracula nut. I have to see the new Dracula film. It's opening day there in Huntsville, Alabama at the local theater. And it's one of these multiplex things. He had just finished reading the Amityville Horror, and the film version of that opened on the same day, at uh-huh. least in Huntsville. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, and I thought the Amityville Horror was a pretty silly movie, entertaining. <laughs> yeah, silly. it's very silly. Yeah. Get out. But um, yeah, <laughs> get out. I've always said, you know, you get some some noisy neighbors you don't like, just hide a walkie-talkie in the wall <laughs> and get on your other. 
Get But anyway, you know, seeing the movie in the theater, I loved it. I think I went back a second time. And I was particularly struck even then by how lush it looked, how saturated Ah. the color was, you know. Really beautiful film to look at. Yeah. So when it got around to being finally released on DVD and John Badham was like, hey, you know what? I always wanted to do it in black and white. Yeah. For me, and I think people like me who had seen the film on its original release or seen it when it was shown on HBO soon after, seeing the sort of desaturated color version, it's like, you know, throwing paint on the Mona Lisa sort of. It's like, no, don't. So it's interesting in its way. The one we looked at was the desaturated John Badham version. Uh, but, but luckily for you, Bruce, and uh, anyone who saw it in its original theatrical re- uh, run, um, Shout Factory has a Blu-ray yep. where you can watch both versions now, where you can watch the, the theatrical uh, colored version or the desaturated uh, John Badham Thank God Badham for version. Shout Factory, man. Now. They're really great I mean, at preserving this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it totally, totally they are. I, I mean, but, but what's funny about the desaturated thing? I mean, it 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 very much stands out. Like I, I was I was really kind of taken back by it watching this. It's not black and white, and it's not the rich color uh, that Bruce you saw in the theater. Uh, and and they're kind of to split the baby on this one, and it, it it's kind of in a, in a weird spot. To me, it always had the effect of watching like a tenth generation VHS copy yeah. of something. You know, <laughs> That's where, exactly where the what it felt really like. Washed out. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, like sun the... faded almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the the original, but uh, but you know, the other thing I think makes the movie really, really, really work for me is to John Williams' score because absolutely it's one, of, one of his best. Yeah. It hits you in the face right away uh, when when we're on the Demeter, and that that whole opening scene I think is an amazing introduction, and and followed up with his because we get into the castle. It's that big flyby over the water the flyby, with yeah. with the John I, Williams score and the credits rolling. Speaking I mean, of it, I mean, it, it's beautiful. It's, um, it's the teaming up of uh, the, the team from, from Star Wars two years earlier of John Williams and Gilbert Taylor. Gilbert yeah. Taylor for the cinematography. The cinematographer, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, I did the James Bernard music for the Hammer films. Really love all that. And certainly he's, his Dracula theme, you know, I mean, I, I think Christopher Lee and I immediately hear that. Dum, bum, bum. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, it's got that effect that a lot of, uh, a lot of composers do sometime. But let's, let's put the character's name in music. Dracula. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which John Williams did later on with Superman, you know, Superman. Da, 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 yeah. da. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, as, speaking of scoring, so like we didn't talk about this, but in the 1931 version, no music. There, there is no score. There, there's kind yeah. of an opening titles. You get Swan, Swan Lake, Lake Swan at the Lake. beginning, yeah. which is also used again for The Mummy a couple of years later. Yeah. And when they uh, go also to. Also directed by Carl Freund, the cinematographer on, on, on Dracula. Uh, Dracula. And when they go to the. When they go to the opera in Dracula, I think, or, or whatever it is, you hear some music yeah, playing there. Some kind of like source music, yeah. But that's one of those things where they kind of, as with the, the boat captain and the voices, it's like, what's the cheapest way we can do this? We'll show <laughs> right. the captain's shadow. We'll hear yeah. people talking about it. You'll get the idea that there's crowds of people around, but we don't have to hire anyone but a couple of voice right, actors. Exactly. 
Yeah, because there were so many scenes in the 31 where you definitely needed that sting, you know, when when the cross would come out and he'd block his face or when there when the mirror would show and he would break the mirror and and all or that stuff like there Renfield, was no nothing uh, cuts his finger and there's that that really fast right. push in. Yeah, like there's well, nothing what, there. <laughs> what's great is like so and it's also like a thing of early 30s movies uh apparently they didn't have a lot of score. That that's that's kind of a uh, it it was it, it took Part them of the a early while. Talkies. Yeah. It took them a while to develop overdubbing and sound cutting, sound editing. Yeah. To go along with the picture, you know. So a lot of times in those very, very early sound movies, if you're hearing music, they're literally playing the music off camera a little bit. Right. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. But, uh, but what was what was wild about the the 31 version though uh, on the score thing was that in the late 90s, Philip Glass did. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, a, he, a, 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 a soundtrack for it and I was thinking about it like man like when was the last time I saw Dracula it was probably when that came out and I, I, I saw the Philip Glass version the last time I saw it and, and it kind of struck me this time I was like geez there's no music in this right And my problem with the Philip Glass score to the original is it's almost wall-to-wall music. There's never I, yeah, any I was about pause, to say, like, you know. Uh, yeah, like, like, it's, it's and, not even like, yeah, exactly. The silence like, is really powerful in yeah, that movie. It yeah. needs to be there. You, that's one of the things that makes it creepy and powerful. And I yeah. Think, again, Todd Browning feels like you're there. feel for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in both the 31 version and the Langella version, my favorite scenes are the sort of second sort of showdown with uh, Dracula and Van Helsing, you know. Yes. And with Lugosi's, it's just because with his accent, I love the way he says the word learned. (laughs) Now that you have learned what you have learned. (laughs) Now that you have learned what you have learned, it would be well for you to return to your own country. I definitely hear what you're saying. I really love Philip Glass and I, I love that the soundtrack for the movie. Uh, but I, I could also see the annoyance with it, like that. There's wall to wall music. I mean, like it's, it, it's well done, but it's there is no there's no breath in it. It's it's all just blasting you in the face. Yeah. But anyhow, so uh, so the score in the '79 version, <laughs> John Williams. I, that's that that surprised me when I when I saw that. I was I was really excited that we were going to get a John Williams score. I had no idea that he had taken part in this film. That's great. It sounded amazing too. Uh, I thought it was interesting in this that uh, they turned Mina into a Van Helsing uh, in this story, uh, which is totally different from some of the others. Yeah, they switched the names, I think, instead of Mina with the friend named Lucy. And I had had heard that I think uh, Badham felt that Mina is kind of a silly-sounding name, so... (laughs) The almost comical name, so he switched it to Lucy. You know, I just thought I thought that was an interesting move that uh, you know Van Helsing would come back into uh, back to England to find out that his daughter had been had died under some strange circumstances, some strange puncture wounds, you know, and all of a sudden a loss of blood, whatever that was, or whatever that could be. Um, But then all of a sudden Van Helsing becomes see what happens. Yeah, Van Helsing becomes. Van Helsing, like right when he gets to town and he's doing the investigation and he's got another one of those where he's got the tools and all that. And, um, you know, he's he's a great vampire hunter uh, and it, he becomes that like almost a scientist in this one. Speaking yeah. of Van Helsing's uh, arrival in, in the 1979 version, um, yeah. like the first time we 
really meet him. He's in the 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 cemetery, and Dracula rolls up on the horse, and it's still daylight out. What was that? Just they were he shooting could, d- day for night, and they, they he could be out during the day. They said, but but then the ending, he sees the sun and gets roasted. Right? Yeah, this film is not going to take a lot of points for logical consistency. Okay, know, certainly, but you know, I mean, the. You know, one of the vampires, uh, Van Helsing sees his daughter's reflection in a pool of water, and they're not supposed to cast reflections. But, right. but it's a good creepy moment. So, uh, one of the things this film oh, right. yeah. took, yeah, one one of the things this film took a lot of um, uh, brickbats for when it came out was Laurence Olivier playing Van Helsing. You know, because that was near the end of his career. He was basically taking any movie he could get to have money to leave to his kids. You know, and. Yeah. Um, and you know, so a lot of people kind of slag it off as being another, you know, oh, another Lawrence Olivier movie, and it's kind of embarrassing because he's so old. And, <laughs> but I have great. to say, I think That's he's really fantastic. Good, yeah. Now, yeah, given the age difference between him and his daughter, he was a randy old man apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but the, the scenes with him and Donald Pleasance, I think, are really well played. You know. Oh yeah. What in God's name could have happened? I don't know. I don't know. Jack, Jack, you must explain to me. From the beginning, as patiently as you can. It's interesting because I was looking at the cast in this when we were talking about this film or doing this film, and I I saw Donald Pleasance on the list. I'm like, oh, he's Van Helsing for sure. But no, he's not. He's Seward, (laughs) or Dr. Seward, and he's kind of a goofy... No, it's like, look, this is filmed like weeks after, uh, you know, Halloween was released, and... uh, of course, he's still who's the Loomis? guy in charge of the nut house? Dr. Loomis. Pleasance. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think all the performances in this are very good. It's the first thing I think I'd seen Kate Nelligan in. And uh, I thought she was quite good as Lucy. Yeah. Uh, and you get uh, a, a Doctor Who in it, although he doesn't have any speaking lines. Yeah. Which um, Doctor Who's in this? One, one of the... Um, uh, assistants there in the asylum, Sylvester McCoy. Got it. He okay. was Walter Myrtle, according to the cast uh, cast <laughs> list there. Yeah, and he was he was Doctor Who for a year or two in the seventies, I think. You know, is that a preview uh, of the next book, Bruce? Uh, Doctor Who companion? No, I I enjoyed some of the Doctor Who's, but I haven't watched it for years. <laughs> in in the seventy nine version, kind of uh, cranking up the violence and the and the, the horror um either mina or lucy i think it was mina uh snuck into the nut house and ate a baby yes and they showed the it hell <laughs> yeah that that was a pretty rough one that's you know that's in the novel that uh she's yeah. luring children to their deaths in the graveyard and, they, and they're calling her the blue for but even like yeah. infants um Maybe not infants in in the novel, but but in the novel, Dracula goes out and brings back a baby to throw to his brides to eat. Oh wow! Yeah, or to to drain of blood at least. They do that in the Coppola uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he hands them their their treat. It seems like it would be an inefficient snack there. I mean, it seems like uh, it'd be a lot more blood in a. Well, it's better than what Renfield gets. He yeah. gets bugs, right? He just gets whatever Give he can find. Bug. Oh, you didn't think I had a bug, did you? Yeah, and he, he sneaks like... it in. That was a good one. You've got no blood in you anyway. 
And besides, I've got one there that you didn't find before. Right, in the straitjacket with him. There, there is a scene in the uh, 31 Dracula, Rinfield kind of creeping across the floor towards the nurse who's fainted. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. And yes. they and they cut away. Right? Uh-huh. Well, if they let the shot play out before it was cut, and I don't know why they cut it necessarily, but he creeps up on her, and there's, I guess, a fly on her, and he, like, snatches the fly and eats it. Oh, that's oh, wow. that's. But they the, should have left that going. They yeah. should have let it go. They, we just see him crawling up, and they cut away, and you have no idea yeah. what horrible things he's doing. That I yeah, yeah. Woman, you know? I, mean, I, I, yeah. I, I think I think that's the reason to cut away because your mind fills in the gaps there with something even more horrible than what happened than what was yeah. filmed. But in this one, they didn't they didn't shy away from the visual. They they yeah. showed you everything. I mean, Renfield getting his head turned around one eighty degrees uh, in the <laughs> asylum was pretty nuts yeah, too. Yeah. That was and then he hits Steven the ground neck and, snap and, and there. like coughs out the blood. I, I don't know if you saw oh. that when he hits the ground and his head's backwards, and then that blood just shoots out of his mouth. Oh. That was pretty 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 graphic. Yeah, there's some pretty good shock moments in it. Now the yeah. other thing I remember about seeing it in 1979 was uh, as I was walking out with my buddy there, there was you know, a couple of women, maybe tw- late 20s, 30s, who had been there to watch the movie. And one of them sees a friend of hers in the lobby who's seeing something else. Like, what are you seeing? Oh, I just saw Dracula. He's so dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or something to that effect. It may not be the exact word she used, but it was yeah. something to that effect. <laughs> so certainly that was the, the draw for that Dracula was uh, was to, you know, uh, I think they had a, uh, an ad line on their poster, too, that's, you know, for, for centuries he's filled uh, the hearts of men with terror and the hearts of women with desire. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So they were definitely playing up the romantic aspect of it. You know? Yeah. And uh, certainly with, with Langella. Very good look at Dracula, yeah. And I just love that he doesn't even eat at the dinner that they're at. You know, you're talking about this this man, um, right, you know, this right. He's like, send it away, country. I'm finished, yeah. He doesn't eat anything. He, Yeah, he just doesn't eat his soup, doesn't drink his wine. And he also does the never drink wine line. He also doesn't want, like you said, don't taint the blood with the drugs. Cause yeah, it'll, it'll pollute clean, her blood. Right? It'll pollute yeah. her blood. Yeah. Um, yeah, he almost throws away the, you know, no, I never drink wine. He almost throws it away. But right, still, right. you know... It, kind of resonates because we've all seen the the other versions exactly yeah because you know and, that line yeah and he's got the the lugosi hands i mean the first time we really see him it's that hand coming out from that fur coat you know fur right. Hands yeah, coat. right well that was kind of his transformation from a wolf right because it was it, it's a wolf like very subtle form. yeah 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 right but it's, it's funny because yeah his coat has a lot of uh wolf-like fur on it right but but it it totally is staged as sure. if he's, you know, uh, turning back into a human formula or like he has human fingers sprouting out of a wolf's paw. Yeah, I thought that was an effective shot. Yeah. I, I really liked that because I was very confused what was happening in a, in a you know, in a great way. Uh, and then when there's the reveal. But I do want to talk about the Demeter beginning because this is kind of like all of the things that we didn't see in the 31. But we get to kind of get a rewind right. here of what actually happened. And pretty nasty the captain gets it pretty bad and he's he's dead in the same exact way he's up on the steerage of the or the steering wheel of the yeah. of the ship but mm-hmm. this one he's got his entire throat ripped out and they, yeah. they don't shy yeah, away I mean, from it's the in, violence you know right after the uh, opening theme song here it's like within the first two minutes you're seeing the graphic throat yeah. ripping scene you know it's awesome so it certainly sets you up for what you're going to be getting as far as the gore goes but there's right. a lot of just really neat effects in this you know i loved a little 
kind of split screen thing to do where Dracula leaps out the window and the wolf yes, comes out. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's that great. Was, that was very well done. That's gonna or, bring that or, up. Yeah, when, I thought uh, the bats were cool, especially the uh, the animatronic when they did the close up of the bat and you could really see that it was just just this gnarly, almost a rat, a flying rat kind of thing. Like it was a, yeah. it wasn't a bat, right? Like it was. Something else, um, but that was really neat too. Or when they're in the catacombs there, and Harker hits Dracula with the shovel, and he instantly turns into the bat. You know that was yes. a, a yeah. good effect. So very cool. Yeah. Even the uh, crawling, you know, the, the, the sort of '66 Batman crawling down the side of the the castle there. Yeah. Uh, was done to such great effect. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, he did it several times, mm-hmm. and then he goes to like you know peel the sort of grout out of the glass with right. his hand and we don't why is his hand this way and then you see the, the camera kind of you know moves over to the left and we see uh <laughs> his head is upside down yeah. uh and and you know there are all these like great little moments like that 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 played so well although i have to say like the the first time we see him crawling down the face of the castle or building or whatever it is then we cut to like the the actual uh 66 batman shot like in in profile and as he's going down he kind of like turns his head toward the camera and it looks like he looks in the the lens and it's like (laughs) as if to say yeah i'm doing this shot asshole what are you gonna do about it yeah that that's what do you think yeah, yeah. You know, th- that shot's always kind of bugged me a little bit because of that, <laughs> that, that it kind of breaks the moment a bit because he's, it's like he's looking directly at you in the audience. It, it, you know? it did. It wasn't just me that, that thought that, right? Huh? No, I mean, I, I could have done without that turn of the head, you know. <laughs> I can reward you with a long and fruitful life, but I must have your loyalty. Can you give that? I think the ending with the, this, I mean, they had trouble as they were shooting coming up with a good ending for it. Which, yeah. you know, you think this story's been around for so long. I don't know why they had such a hard time. But you know, <laughs> maybe they just wanted to do something different and didn't want right. to fall on the old tropes. And I will say, I do think uh, W.D. Richter's script is very good. You know, he's he had done yeah. the remake prior to this of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah. Which I also oh, cool. enjoyed Great a film. lot. Yeah. With Donald Sutherland. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, just all the way around, I think this is a very, the 79 Dracula is a very well-produced film. And if if you didn't see Langella on Broadway, it's as close as you'll ever get to seeing what his Dracula (laughs) performance might have been like. You know, and I I know one person who did see it on Broadway and said it was just terrific. So I have buried many friends and I too am weary. I am the last of my kind, descended from a conquering race. My family was its heart's blood, its brains, its swords. But the warlike days are over. One uh, sort of last thing to kind of uh, wrap up on with um, the 79 version for me. I mean, I, I, I did really enjoy the sort of the, yeah, the, the different ending, like you're saying. Um, I mean... That was pretty epic, that fight. It, 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 was, it was great that they sort of, you know, were doing the, the chase... And then they they get down to the dock and they have to kind of get onto the boat. And there's this whole thing, and then, and then even the the second to last shot of is it Lucy? Lucy. Yeah, 
because well, the, the you know all all the characters in this one are, are the exact same, but they're, they've all just been like you know, dropped into a Yahtzee cup and sprinkled out every every single <laughs> yeah. one of these movies. So <laughs> exactly. you're, you're, it's, a, it's a little confusing watching them back to back. But um, so so Lucy like looking at the fluttering bat kite, uh, right, or, or yeah. perhaps just the the roasted the rags yeah. of 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 Dracula flying away and and her sort of. Uh, 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 sort of lusty uh, look after it, or it, it, she looked very hungry. Well, the, the enigmatic smile, kind yeah. of. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah. It's I think it's meant to be an ambiguous ending. You know, is yeah. she is she going to go rejoin Dracula at some point? Is she or is she the start next, over? Is she the, the next Dracula? main yeah. vampire here? She's still is under she gonna, his spell. Still, is in she going to continue yeah. his work uh, she, and it, continue to make yeah. more of our our kind, as he said? Yeah. Is she pregnant with a little Dracula? Although you wonder if a dead <laughs> yeah. person can make someone pregnant. But you know, <laughs> and again, you know, you get that John Williams score at the end. It kind of saves the day. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But and also, you know, when this came out, be, I think because it had been so popular on Broadway and there had been the imitators on Broadway, then you began to get more cinematic Draculas, like uh, Dracula Love at First Bite. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah wait was that the uh george hamilton george hamilton yeah the tan i was yeah. gonna say the tan the guy with the, the, the tan guy tan. yeah the tan guy yeah the sort of oxymoron kind of thing let's get the most yeah. tan guy in the world to play a guy who hasn't seen sunlight in 500 years yeah, yeah. but i enjoyed the film i will say if you get if you're able to find a dvd of it and they're kind of scarce uh, I picked up one when I was writing the book, and, and the thing that immediately stu- stood out to me is in the big disco scene in it. Um, when you saw <laughs> you, it, you, in the, you think John Badham would be the one with the disco scene in it, right? You would, but when but when <laughs> right. you when you saw Love at First Bite in the theater, Dracula dances with Susan St. James to "I Love the Nightlife." Uh. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't lock down those music rights for any other versions because. In this DVD oh, version no. I have, it's a, I can't remember what it is, but it's a different song from that era, disco song, planted oh. in there, but not I Love the Nightlife. And the, it kind of suffers because of that. If you yeah. saw the original, that song and that scene just went so well together that it's sure. hard to imagine anything else. And oh, even though, geez. you know, George Hamilton's definitely doing a Lugosi impersonation through it, but he does it very well. I was going to ask um, for, I guess, you know, one more thing I wanted to bring up was, I don't know if either of you had seen the BBC short series that they did of Dracula. Um, it came out a few years ago. Um, it was like a modern, it was just a three-part Is this the one that was on se- Netflix? I, it might have been on Netflix, yes. With exactly. the actor from Game of Thrones, yeah. Uh, well, first off, in the 70s also, right before the Langella Dracula, there was a BBC Dracula with Louis Jordan that was a little more faithful to the to the novel. Uh, Louis Jordan was a pretty good Dracula. I think it showed him scaling the building, which you didn't see much back in those days. And they did shoot some of the Lucy and Mina scenes in Whitby, which is a great place to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> plug, plug, I'm going to be on their tourist board now. Yeah. Brought to you by Whitby. Brought to you by Whitby. Visit tomorrow. Yeah. And Chiltern Guesthouse. But yeah, that one, they did do some shooting there uh, in, in Whitby, which which kind of makes it stand out to me. And yeah. uh, although they did have these weird 70s video effects and from time to time, solarized uh-huh. kind of effects, which kind of detract from it. But um, 
But I went off on a tangent. Oh, the BBC, the more recent one that was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mm-hmm. was, I was because it was being done by the guys who produced Sherlock and Doctor yeah. Who. You know, I was really looking forward to it, and really disappointed by it because I felt like really, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I really, enjoyed, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting take, especially because they they kind of played a tribute to all of the films, including the the uh, Coppola film. Um, At the beginning, with, you know, very costuming and, yep. Yeah, exactly. But that particular actor's way of playing Dracula just didn't resonate with me. Got it, And, yeah. and the storyline in general of uh, the sort of female Van Helsing. Which, it's like uh, uh, the, the rock opera. It, it makes or breaks the film on the music. <laughs> and this one, if the Dracula, you don't like the person playing Dracula, it's probably going to make or break the, uh, the series or the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the Coppola Dracula, uh, you know, again, I love Gary Oldman as an actor. His Dracula eh, didn't quite work for me. <laughs> and part of it for me is that he does such a thick uh, Romanian accent that if you didn't know what the lines were from the previous movies, you'd have a hard time knowing what to say. Exactly. Lisa, to them, the children of the night. What? Oh, children of the night. Right, right, right. What sweet music they make. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, he, he's only been around for 500 years. English is not his first language. I mean... Yeah, and he's probably worn his voice out a bit by now after 500 yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Pick up a book, Drac. <laughs> but I have already died. And I never drink wine. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much again for joining us. Can you uh, plug what you have going on? I'm uh, publishing books now as Henry Gray Publishing. So you can go to henrygraypublishing.com and see what those are. And all those books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on. Or you can order them through the website. Fantastic. Thank you, Bruce. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. I had a great time. I mean, I could. it's fun to talk about Dracula with people who really like Dracula films. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah no, it was a pleasure having you. And I thought these were great versions of them. They were great examples of, of the vampire film, the Dracula films. They were awesome. Uh, for my money, three of the best, yeah. yeah. Your will is strong, Van Helsing. All right, next time on the show, we'll be continuing with our afterlife discussion. Not so much the undead side of things, but more of the uh, comedic, I think, lighthearted side of things. Is that right, Jeremy? Yeah, a less directly horrifying version of the afterlife. Uh, (laughs) Something that happens after you die, but, you know, uh, there are still some stakes somehow. And our afterlife films that we'll be discussing are A Matter of Life and Death from 1945, Defending Your Life from 1991, and Afterlife from 1998. I have never heard of Afterlife. Yeah, it's uh, it's a Japanese film Excellent. that kind of has the same subject matter. And so, so all of them are, you know, the protagonist dies in the beginning and then uh, is uh, in some sort of waiting room there having to defend their lives. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them are more comedic than others, I think. And uh, it'll be kind of an interesting array of this interesting little subgenre there. And we'll be uh, joined by a guest on that one again, I believe. Is that correct? We will, hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> we good. Will. We'll, we'll figure uh, out yeah. timing, but if not, it'll yeah. it'll just be us. <laughs> yeah. So so we, we should we should have a guest, and then um, you know uh, who uh, these films hold a special place uh, in his heart, and uh, and you know he'll be able to take us through why they're so important. Aren't you drinking? I never drink. Why? All right, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute, including YouTube. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. 
Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next time. Ciao. Now it is you, my best beloved one. You will be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. You shall cross land or sea to do my 